welcome to the filmpulse.net podcast. This is episode number 68. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? Doing alright. Doing alright? Great show lined up today. First we'll be speaking with director Matt Johnson on his film The Dirties, which was just picked up by Phase 4 and Kevin Smith. Then we'll be talking about some of what we've been watching, followed by a feature review of The Hangover Part 3. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's kick things off with an interview with writer-director Matt Johnson on his new film, The Dirties, which won the jury prize at this year's Slam Dance Film Festival and was recently picked up for distribution by Phase 4 and Kevin Smith under his uh, Kevin Smith Movie Club label. Let's take a listen. So this is your first feature film, yeah. right? And it won the Grand Jury Prize at Slamdance. It was picked up by Phase 4 and uh, the Kevin Smith Movie Club label. And yes. not to mention, we asked you on the show for an interview. So how does it feel to have your first feature film get so much acclaim and attention? Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a shock, that's for sure. Uh, especially considering the manner in which the film was made. It was a lot like the web show that we made before, which was really kind of just like, in many ways, an inside joke for me and my friends. And I think this film reads that way. Like, you can tell that it's kind of like the home videos of, like, a group of friends. Mm-hmm. So so when we were making it, we, we definitely weren't thinking that more than four or 500 people at film festivals would ever watch it. So it's surreal. But, um, but because stuff like this always happens in waves, like, it's not like the night that the film screened, they were like, Kevin Smith bought your movie. Everybody loves it. Here are all the reviews. Like, it doesn't all happen at once. Right. So because, it, like, that kind of stuff happens so slowly, you, you never really get that one moment where you're like, oh, wow, we're so lucky. This is so great. Although well, you feel that. It's not like there was no point where I was doing cartwheels. Like, ooh, the, still the most exciting moment of finishing the film and, like, uh, of this movie was screening it to, like, the the interns who helped make it who were these young guys who really liked it and then when we heard that we got into uh slam dance those are the two biggest moments yeah when it was like oh my god this is amazing and this this just uh when it was just announced a couple weeks ago that this got picked up by phase four and kevin smith and i think that there was a quote that that kevin smith put out there and i i actually have it here I just want to get your response. He says, this is the most important film you will see all year. Matt Johnson has mashed up the found footage, film, and faux documentary genres and crafted the most original, hypnotic, and human movie about a monster in the making you will ever see. Not only is The Dirties an astonishing, astonishingly great first film, it has the stones to deal with some very real subject matter in a mature important way so how does it feel to have kevin smith say something like that well that was pretty crazy when i when i when we read that press release it was it was amazing i'd spoken with him on the phone a few months ago uh i think in january when he'd seen the movie and just wanted to talk about it and was Mm -hmm. i I really liked it Uh, maybe there's a way we could acquire it but that was so early on and he he had that same attitude, and I remember it was such a shock to me because I was such a huge Kevin Smith fan when I was young, um, and then I sort of lost touch with a lot of his stuff. Um, and then when I heard him talking about the film in that way, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like that, it's just not the kind of stuff that you would you would associate with 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 Kevin Smith and his films like that. 
like he just seems like such a cinephile and he's so he -hmm. seems like he really cares about this so much like in the way that you know martin scorsese or quentin tarantino will like present a movie and be like this is the greatest yeah so that was really that was that was a really amazing moment so Um, and at the same time he's like quite a loquacious dude so it's not like like he 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 like he's a poetic guy right anything he said was going to sound pretty good yeah i think so i guess maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves maybe we should describe the film to the listeners and maybe what it's all about yeah sure i mean in a nutshell it's like a a documentary made by two kids in high school about their lives and how they sort of get bullied and how they deal with it uh and sort of what's interesting about it is they kind of jokingly decide that they're going to make a documentary about killing the bullies in their school and the whole time you're sort of trying to figure out just how serious both of them are and how much of this is a joke versus how much of this is is really going on and you never really know um uh and outside of that it just sort of is like a high school friendship story Mm -hmm. so it is framed as sort of a found footage documentary uh, aside from the obvious event that takes place, how much did you draw from your own high school experiences when you were crafting this film? Well, I mean, everything I say and do is like straight out of my life in high school. Um, so like the way that I behave and certainly the way Owen behaves is exactly like is trying to be as realistic as it possibly can be. In terms of like the bullying and a lot of like the crazy violence, that goes on. I mean, that wasn't uh, wasn't my experience in high school. Definitely more like grade seven, grade eight. Um, but for Owen, I think that was closer to to what was going on with him. And certainly for um, for Josh, one of the writers, we were all like every single one of those bullying events. We were all drawing from things that we would talk about as real things, like that opening scene where the bully grabs my hand and right. won't go, but accuses me of not letting go of his hand. Like that was a that was a real story that we always thought was pretty funny. Um, uh, so we, we, we tried to make each of the moments real, but in terms of me specifically, like I didn't get, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like afraid for my life when right. I was in high school. That's good. So um, the film has kind of this meta element to it where the main characters are making a documentary about making this movie and we see scenes of you editing the actual movie that we're seeing on the screen and what really kind of sets this is what really sets the movie apart from kind of your run of the mill found footage style. Was it difficult to structure the movie in this way? Because it, it it's kind of a mind fuck if you think about it. Yeah, I think it would have been tough like if the whole film was written line for line. I mm-hmm. think you would have had to have been like like a, a true genius to try to write something like that down. But luckily we didn't have to have to do anything like that because we we came from a school where we shoot things like their documentaries like we try to shoot drama like the documentary and because Owen and I were were such good friends we could just go into any kind of environment like whether it was a high school or like the street or anywhere or like a party in Thunder Bay and we could just kind of be our characters and behave and then afterwards and like months afterwards I could sit with the footage and kind of figure out structurally where everything could kind of fit and then what's really cool is that even after that we could go back and reshoot pieces of me putting everything together 
So it was like we got to build it like layer by layer mm -hmm. as opposed to like from the very start, all of us in a room with a pen being like, okay, then we're going to watch Matt editing the scene that we just watched. Like that, <laughs> we, we, we knew that those were going to be elements of the film, but they weren't, they weren't planned. We just kind of slotted them in when we could. Um, and in fact, it, it, when you make things like that, it's actually quite easy to make kind of complicated things because you're sort of editing it scene to scene. If something doesn't work or if something doesn't make sense, you can just change it, reshoot it, or take it out. Because, I mean, the, the movie cost no money to make, and it was just four of us at any given time. We could reshoot anything anytime, mm -hmm. right? Because we owned, we owned the cameras and the microphones and stuff like that. There, like we were shooting scenes for, like, so our, our, the, the movie premiered in January, and we were shooting scenes at the beginning, like January 5th, 6th, 7th. There were some shots in the movie that were shot, like, just a few days before we screened in Park City. Yeah, that's crazy. So how much did this cost? A production and post were different, but our production budget was about fifteen. Uh, fifteen thousand dollars between fifteen and twenty thousand um, dollars, and that was to shoot everything. And then once we finished it, and and it looked like we were gonna uh, sell it, we had to clear all the music and um, and like things like the posters and um, and like the things that we referenced. Like there's because there's tons of pop culture on right. screen in a movie, mm -hmm. so we had to legally go like around and clear all that stuff. And all that wound up costing around like fifty or sixty thousand dollars. Wow. Um, which is, which, although, I mean, it, it seemed expensive and it certainly was expensive to us because we were paying for it all ourselves. Like in the grand scheme of things, like it was, it's insanely cheap. Oh yeah. For, oh, a, yeah. for like an entire movie. Um, and because to us, it was like, we we're all, we were all film students. I mean, I'm still a film student. And so we were, we were just kind of doing it with that mindset where, where we would spend as little money as possible and, um, and just try to do it where we didn't need any resources. So we were able to keep everything cheap. I think if, if we'd been doing it the right way and we had bought like those songs from the beginning or we'd only worked with stuff we knew we could clear, it'd be a very different movie. I think one of the strengths of this film is that the filmmakers were approaching it with the idea that it would never, ever be sold. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've talked to quite a few filmmakers that have made movies just the, the way they want and not even worried about, you know, licensing, copyright, all that stuff and just did what they want not even planning on selling it. Yeah, I think it's very much the internet way to do things because the the web show that we made was was all totally illegal, like all unsourced music, like no no releases, no location releases, nothing. And so that's sort of what we knew. So we just made this movie the exact same way. And then we had a really smart producer in the end, Matt Miller, who just kind of went around and fixed all of our mistakes. <laughs> when it was all done, plus winning, winning, winning uh, that award, and then the awards that that followed helped a lot too, because it meant that we could get like pro bono legal work, and we could get people to really work with us, mm. because, um, because like there's no like real hard fixed costs. It's not like building a house, like like getting the legal work done for a film and like clearing music and stuff like that. They're all moving targets. Like they could it could cost like this same film, everything exactly the same, could have cost like five hundred thousand dollars. To right. clear everything, but we had like really cool people working with us and people who wanted to get it done. So our yeah. music supervisor was like a genius. This guy David Heyman, like really, well, he, he was able to get all this music for for almost nothing. It was amazing. Yeah, and you have some great music 
in this movie too. I really like the the choices that you used, uh, especially the bike scene. I just I love that that whole scene with you riding down the street on your bike. Yeah, I know. That's when you first realize that maybe this guy's slightly slightly bent for yeah. the first time, and and that that was actually the most expensive song we had to we had to buy. Oh yeah. It was going to be cheap. Kid Cudi was saying that we could have it for almost nothing, but uh, but uh, but the person singing it, it was like, no, 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 it's going to cost you guys a lot, which was so funny because Cudi was willing to let it go for like no money at all. <laughs> because in the, it, like when you're clearing music, you have to clear like the person who wrote the song and the person who performed the song, you have to pay them both the same amount of money. And no matter what that money is, you need to pay it the same. I don't know why that is. I think it's a ridiculous law, but... Yeah, that's weird. Well, Kid Cudi was saying, "Oh yeah, you guys can use it for almost nothing." He was not saying this to me. I was not on the phone with Kid Cudi, but <laughs> but uh, but to our music supervisor and um, and the person performing it. I don't know why, but they were like, "No, it's going to cost you like ten times that." <laughs> <laughs> and she was just covering it anyway. Yeah. Oh, it fucked us. <laughs> but but we we figured it out. So you inject a lot of comedy in in this film, even though it's. It's dealing with some fairly serious subject matter. There is a lot of comedy. I mean, do you do you consider this movie a comedy? Because I've seen it referred to as a drama and a comedy, or maybe it's some kind of hybrid of both. No, I think I think when pe- when people are confused when they try to label it, because it's not a comedy at all. Like it, it's because there's nothing like it's funny. The term comedy is so weird. It's almost a dated like 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 model of like telling a story because what like the difference between a drama and a comedy is like that a comedy like can like break rules and like reality doesn't matter and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. which is not this movie at all. It just so happens that the two guys in this movie are funny and they're interested in making one another laugh. But like, like super bad is a good example like that, which, which our movie is, is, is quite similar to like that. A lot of that stuff is just drama and these guys are really funny with one another and what you're laughing, you're sort of laughing with them as though you're there. Um, and this movie is, is sort of the same. Like, I think what's funny about it is just that Matt is such a nutty guy and he is always trying to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. But, but by the end of the film, that gets quite sad. Like, it almost, it almost starts to, like, tip into his mental illness. The fact that he's always trying to be funny and he's always trying to get, he's always trying to perform in a way. So right. what's, what's funny at the beginning of the film, by the end of the film, is sort of, like the, the evidence that things have gone completely wrong. So so it's it's not a comedy at all. It's it's like although it is funny. I mean, I think I think like show show like the, like the wire or whatever. Nobody would ever call that show a comedy, but <laughs> I, think I think it's like one of the funniest shows in the world. It's insanely funny. Yeah, and, no. And I, 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 yeah, I get it. I get well, it. It's just it's just an expression of how comedy I think is changing and how people are so savvy about like the voice of the author that now as soon as, at least this is speaking for me and my friends, like as soon as you can tell that somebody is trying to be funny or that you're being shown something that where the format of it is like laugh, you're supposed to laugh at this. There's nothing like more repulsive. I think like a movie like bridesmaids or something like that where you it's, or the hangover where it's like you, you guys are going to think this is so funny and everything Mm -hmm. is kind of done to make you laugh. Like I think, I think we're going to see that, that form of comedy completely die out <laughs> yeah because i it's, it's so it's it almost seems like stupid uh, mm-hmm. uh in comparison because that's not that's not what how things are funny in real life yeah i think you're right i think you're absolutely right about that i mean we're already seeing it happen so like 
with comedy, it, it always goes through evolutions, you know? Yeah, it's just getting more and more and more real. Like, if you watch, like, a Mel Brooks movie, or, like, any movie, any comedy from the 80s, like, there are very few comedies that wind up holding up. Like, like Dr. Strangelove is one of the few, uh, The Sweet Smell of Success. Like, there's not many movies that were funny at the time and are still funny. Yeah. It's insanely rare. That's absolutely true. Well, I want to talk about the more serious part at the end of this movie. Is it... Is it like a spoiler to talk about it? I mean, people kind of—I think people know what happens towards the end. Well, I mean, I mean, there's been dozens of interviews who've straight up said there's a school shooting at the end of the movie. <laughs> he goes and kills everybody. So, I mean, well, I'm not sensitive about those kinds of things. Well, so. I want to—I want to talk about uh, that in general. Are you concerned that people who believe violence in film causes violence in real life? that they'll see a, this movie and believe that this is making the case for them? Or do you think that they'll be kind of just caught in this paradox where if a violent movie that explores the influence of violence in movies causes violence? It's funny. I get, I get asked that quite a bit. And and it's and it's silly because we had always thought it was going to be so clear, like the reading of the film was going to be so clear mm-hmm. um, in terms of, not what it was trying to say, because it's not like we had a real thesis set out when we tried to make this movie. But I think one of the big points that the film is trying to make is that if you're in a situation, or if we as a society believe that seeing a, a violent movie or seeing some piece of culture or media can turn a kid from completely normal into a psychopathic killer, then there is another big problem going on. Yeah. Like. What, 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 this movie is sort of trying to get at that very issue, getting people to ask that, because there is no such thing as like a Manchurian candidate who sees something and then completely changes. Mm-hmm. Um, like somebody needs to be at a certain point in their life for them to use a piece of media or an action in their life or their mom saying something to them to then to then turn that into an excuse for doing something incredibly violent. Or even just something incredibly mean, or something incredibly selfish, or you like you like it's to 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 point at the the one thing that maybe influenced this person to behave or to model their behavior a certain way is to completely disregard like the first you know two hundred pages of that person's life which molded them into this type of person. Yeah, I think yeah, more I mean, than anything, that's what this movie's trying to get at is that. You know, there is there is like 99% more to this story than this one influence or the fact that this person could have access to a gun or the fact that this person got bullied one time. Like, that, like if anything, this is sort of an exploration of all of these causes and trying to give, you know, a more 360-degree look at maybe why some of these things happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think that more than anything people should be looking at the what what the real catalyst of this type of thing is and it's certainly not a violent movie you can watch tarantino movies all day but unless there's something else you know stemming there like be it incessant bullying or problems you know family issues domestic issues you know i I think that using film is a complete cop-out yeah, totally. And it, it, more than anything, th- this movie is about sort of the celebrity that Matt is trying to attain. 
uh, he's this guy who is completely powerless, only seems to have power in this small little micro world that he's really created where Owen and the audience is his like sort of sounding board. And then as those things get taken away from him, he starts clinging to this kind of weird type of celebrity that he's created for himself. And he just wants power. He just wants to have some type of social power. And the media and his own image in video it sort of becomes that power to him. Um, and, and when you watch the movie, I mean, y y you know this as well as anybody, like, there's like one or two violent movies that this guy watches. It's not like he's sitting in his, it's not like American Psycho where he's right. push-ups watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, this guy watches like, you know, sort of American indie movies from the 90s. Like, that's that's like kind of the stuff that he likes. Like, he's into being John Malkovich and and this kind of stuff. So it, it's not even like he turns these influences from violent movies into reality. He doesn't even follow any like violent movie tropes. Um, but what you see is a guy who started a movie quoting films and culture and television and everything, quoting it incessantly, sort of as a way to have an identity. And then by the end of the film, he's quoting himself from his own film. Right. He becomes his own subject. Um, uh, and I think... That, that's more what we were trying to get at. Certainly, we aren't trying to make the case that, you know, violence begets violence. Um, uh, I, I never, I never thought that, but... Of course, of course. But we get asked that question all the time. I mean, I, I, and I completely understand it, because certainly there is a fear that, you know, like the plebeian masses could, could sit down and watch a movie like this and be like, oh man, so that's what it is. But I don't think, nobody who sits down and watches the entire film, I think, leaves with that thought. I think audiences are, are quite smart, and... Um, and they see this more as a like one story. I would also imagine that the people that see this particular movie are going to be smart. You know what I mean? Like the the people that would be offended or you know feel that way probably won't see this movie to begin with. Well, they won't make it through the first ten minutes. That's for sure. <laughs> that's what, that's one of the great one of the great defense mechanisms a movie like this has is that the language and the culture is so alienating that if you're like over a certain age and not tolerant of, of these types of things, then you are going, you're not going to make it through the first 10 minutes of insane references and stupidity. Exactly. So but nobody will. I wanted to also quickly mention again, keeping with that, that final scene, uh, the way that you used was it, did you use GoPros for that scene? The yes. GoPro cameras? Yes. Yeah. The way that you set that up, uh, I've seen a lot of found footage movies. Uh, I'm a big horror movie fan, so I've seen a ton of those. I've seen everything found footage. And there's always holes in how they get shots and how they can justify the way that it looks, be it with editing or how they got that angle or whatever. And this was the first one of these, and I, and I don't even want to call it a found footage. I'm just going to call it like a mockumentary or faux documentary where... It all it all works, and the way that you showed set him setting up the GoPros and getting that all with the different angles, I thought that that was genius. How you did that? Well, that I, we I mean that to me specifically, the point that you make about horror films and other fake documentaries is like a big thing to us because we are we're all film students, and like breaking those types of rules are are crazy. Yeah, in my opinion, because the whole point of 
doing something, especially in a horror movie, where you want the audience to believe everything that you're doing, and you need them to think that, you know, monsters are real, and, like, you know, evil exists, and it has an incarnate form, like, you can't, like, then break a law of filmmaking, like, it's, it's insane, and plus, it, another thing is that those are the easy things to do, it's mm -hmm. way harder to make a horror movie with a monster and, like, get a realistic-looking monster I just mean practically than it is to explain how you got a camera somewhere. So I think it's so lazy to not to not like sort of like cross all your T's in that sense. Um, but that's you know that's funny because I get asked about that quite a bit. That you know we seemed like we we were so dedicated to it and we cared so much about it, and it was just because we made the format a part of the narrative. Right. Like we made the cameraman like like we. Like, we just put ourselves in the world that these guys are making a film. Um, and I, I think it's like those special effects movies that need to cheat when they want to, like, show a master shot or when they want to, you know, show as many angles of the brutal killing as they can. But because we didn't have those issues, I think it made it easier for us to just... Plus, we had no money, right? So so we had to just kind of do it. I think we, we sort of stumbled into it. But philosophically, yeah, well, yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the big problems with a lot of those... Um, Oh man, what's the do? What's the, the the Spinal Tap guy? Oh, Christopher Guest. Yeah, uh, one of the whenever I would watch those films uh, back in the day, um, I would always have issues with that, like how they would get a camera in certain places. Yeah, he has. A, he actually has a new HBO show that premiered uh, two weeks ago, and he's it's loosely set up like that, but it's like breaking rules all over the place. Another. Another one that comes to mind uh, it was End of Watch, the Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, a movie or, or Chronicle. Um, yeah. but, but I saw End of Watch at TIFF, and I was like, oh, my God, if they're able to keep this up the entire movie, this will be amazing. Because the whole first act is like the camera work, like they do it all so legit. But then it gets crazy, yep. and they need to start being dramatic and doing zooms and stuff like that. And yep, and then how they cut to like the, the gang members – Exactly. It's showing like that whole thing. And that, that really pulls me out of it. And I, I feel like I liked End of Watch, but I feel like if they just kind of threw away the whole justifying the found footage thing and just left the camera work the way it was and just made it just a normal movie without trying to force this found footage thing in there, I think it would have been a lot more effective. Well, found footage is such a buzzword in Hollywood. Yeah that everybody's trying to inject it in whatever weird way they can into their movies. They think that somehow that's going to get young people interested in their movies, which is crazy because formally, I don't think young people are interested in like little tiny pieces of found footage. I think what audiences like about it is that it, it somehow heightens the realism when it's done right. But then they break their own rules and they make it unrealistic. So... But you know what? I think I think only savvy audiences are kind of getting that. I think if you show somebody end of watch and they were like, "So, were there anything wrong with that movie?" Formally, they'd be like, "No." I, I think it's the kind of thing that critics and, and filmmakers notice, and that uh, yeah, that and people don't like because it, it's just it's just like the world of a movie. How does a camera cut from one angle to another angle anyway? Like it's also crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, again, I think that that the way that you put everything together in this movie was it was definitely some of the best I've ever seen in in that. So I applaud well, you for that. Thank you very much. Uh, so any ideas on release dates on this? I know that it's going to be coming out uh, in theaters and video on demand. Any ideas yet? 
yeah, I don't know specifically. I, I think they they were saying it at the beginning of October um, is when they wanted to release it, um, and uh, I think I think that may be it. But um, they're still working. Phase four and Kevin Smith are still sort of working out the details themselves. Okay, so as, as soon as I know, I can tell you. Absolutely, yeah, definitely do that. So, final question: I noticed in your house you had a lot of magic cards taped yes. to your wall. <laughs> yes, was, so, was that two questions? Was, was that actually your house? And are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? Uh, that wasn't. That was uh, the the co writer and uh, and co producer Evan Morgan's basement. Um, but it was all my stuff. And yes, my dream <laughs> as a kid, uh, still now in many ways, was to be a professional magic card player. I, I thought it was like the greatest game in the world, I th- and uh, I, I, for many years of my life, I was obsessed with magic cards. All I did was play magic cards, think about magic cards. I still have a lexiconic memory of like every single flavor text of every single card released, <laughs> like between like 1996 and 2004. Like I, uh, my friends and I would play games where they would just read flavor text, and I would have to guess what the card was. Oh my. I was I was slightly into it, but uh, it was funny actually. Like a year ago, I had, for some reason decided to get into Magic: The Gathering again, and I played for like maybe a month and then what, abandoned set? it. What set? What set? Do you? Was it Return to Ravnica? No, it was. Um, when was? I think it might have been right around when like the 2011 core set came out. Okay, all right. Or maybe it was the 2012 course set. I can't remember. Well, they're always a year ahead. So if it was yeah. in 2010, it would have been 2011. So, yeah. So it was probably the 2012 set. And yeah. uh, I there was that. And um, I, I can't remember. There was one of the sets that came out right after that course set. And I don't remember what it was called. Uh, but it had all the, like, attachments that you could get. Um, shit, I can't remember. <laughs> but it, it was it was fun i played uh online a lot too because i couldn't find People i couldn't bring myself to go to the how they do that uh friday, friday night magic. Yeah, yeah friday well, night magic it, the, the, i think that's one of the big stumbling blocks for the game like that is that the people and this is no, no disrespect, Mark Rosewater. I don't mean any disrespect here but the people who play magic cards typically are always like such like They've got social problems. A lot of these guys like can't like they they're they're kind of uptight and they use. I notice a lot of people use magic cards to gain status and to gain power. And these are people who would not normally have power in any kind of social structure at all. And so yeah. a lot of times when you go to these magic card tournaments, it's very funny, very much like the dirties. Like it's people who have used this very oblique thing to get power, and you can see that you know. That can have some very, very strange results <laughs> when you get these kind of socially incredibly awkward, like, like quite a lot of these times are quite. These guys are quite angry, and uh, and yet they're you know real stars of this small community. I love it. I yeah. love it. A lot of body odor going on in those stores. <laughs> All right. I'm well, you, I'm, I'm happy you noticed that. Yeah. I, oh, I noticed. I noticed all the little pop culture things. That was what kind of drew me in because I'm into the same stuff. So I think uh, weren't you playing? You were playing Street Fighter on Super Nintendo in one of the or wait, what were you playing? It, we were playing Mario Kart 64. Mario Kart, yeah. But I played a ton of Street Fighter in um, in Nirvana the Band the show, tons of it. And in fact, just last night I was driving in Toronto, and a guy thought that me and my friends were making fun of him. I don't know why. And he was like on the street corner with his friend and he charged the car 
at 2.30 a.m., and it was like Ryu in the bonus stage of Street Fighter. <laughs> he literally just went nuts on it. He was just punching and kicking and drop-kicking the car. It was literally like he was trying to just turn it into smoking axles within 30 seconds. It was crazy. It was crazy. Wow. Well, I'm glad to hear you're okay from that. How, how's the car? Only the back windshield was shattered, but the rest of the car was okay, and it was worth it for the story. It was insane. <laughs> it was it was literally Ryu versus the car. <laughs> It was unbelievable. All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up. Matt, (laughs) thank thank you so much for uh, taking some time to speak with us. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Matt. Be sure to head over to the site of filmpulse.net, read our full review for the film, and we'll be sure to announce the release date as soon as it becomes available. And I highly recommend, as soon as you can, check this movie out because it's fantastic. It's fan-fucking-tastic, Kevin. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Let's talk about something we've been watching. Let's. Let's. let's uh, do I it. think. I think last week I started, so we can start with you this week. <sighs> Fine. Whatever. Whatever. I I only watched a couple of films here, <clears throat> and if you may recall, last week I uh, mentioned that I had the Searchers to watch. You know, it's jumping into this whole Western thing. So I started off with a John Ford classic, starring John Wayne, and it was all right. Now this is, have you ever seen The Searchers, Adam? No, no, I haven't. Okay, this is not only like considered one of the greatest westerns of all time, this is also considered one of the greatest movies of all time. I th- I can't quite remember. It is on the, uh, what is that, the Sight and Sound Top 100 mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think it's like in the top 10 or something like that. Let's see if I can find it real quick. I'm honestly not a big fan of westerns, especially old westerns. Yeah. So <clears throat> Now, this is from 1956. And yeah, this is number seven on Sight and Sound's top 50. This is right after 2001 A Space Odyssey. In at number seven, John Ford, who also did uh, Stagecoach, which is apparently... Amazing. So I figured the best way to start this whole Western thing would be to start with John Ford, John Wayne, one of the best movies in the world. And I have to say, I wasn't that impressed. Um, Definitely not um, artistically speaking. The cinematography, not really anything to speak of. I mean, the landscapes look amazing, like out in the desert and everything, with the, the canyons and the plateaus and just the wide open spaces. But again, it's one of those things where we've talked about this before, where the natural beauty of the setting and surroundings and the landscapes, you, I mean, you have to be absolutely terrible to fuck that up mm-hmm. and not capture it on film. So I don't really give any credit there. The only thing that did surprise me was John Wayne, who was amazing in this film. And he is, he plays like a racist asshole. Just, I mean, murderous. He has bloodlust. He just wants to kill everything, really. And most notably Native Americans. So that was sort of like, a, it caught me off guard a little bit. Because, I, I mean, I'm completely new to John Wayne. I haven't seen a lot of films by him. I don't know if I've ever seen an entire film that he's been in. I don't know, have you? I don't think so. I was just thinking about that when you were saying it. I, th- I mean, I'm sure there's one in there somewhere that I've seen. I know it's terrible. It's terrible for me to say that. I know. And I, I, to be quite honest, and I know this 
will probably come off as asinine, but I, I sort of have this uh, idea, this understanding that he's, you know, like the all-American hero and he plays like great, you know, American heroes in all of his films with the high moral ground and all that. So I was a complete, uh, a little bit taken back by this character. I didn't realize that he played, you know, different types of characters throughout his career, which is honestly pretty stupid of me to think. But <laughs> you know what I mean? You just you sort of have this understanding that that's what John Wayne is. Right, yeah. He's the all-American hero. In this movie, he's not, really. I mean, there's he gets like a little bit of redemption at the end, which is a bit of bullshit. And essentially, it... This film is based off of true events where Native Americans would come in and steal white people's children and raise them as their own. So that's sort of the whole idea here. His niece is stolen and he's searching for her for like five, six years. And it's all about them searching for her. And I mean, they do a good job of pacing and everything, but it's just, just, it's so dumbed down to me. There's no complexity to it at all. It's just, kid gets kidnapped. They chase, they give up for a little bit, they find out where he is, chase him again, finally catch up to him, get the kid back. And everything pretty much goes exactly how you think it would. <clears throat> now, the one thing that I also did not know is, <laughs> and I know this now because of Star Wars, the whole the scene involving Luke Skywalker you know, being taken out and his, uh, what was that, his uncle? Mm-hmm. His uncle and his aunt being killed, that's pretty much based off of the searchers. Yeah, I remember hearing that. So I have to say I was a little disappointed by this film. Um, also, I'm not too excited about watching other westerns, but I don't know. Maybe it'll get better with like Sergio Leone and stuff. We'll see. But goddamn, they're so boring. Uh, I think you'll like if uh, you have the original Django on that list, right? Yes, yes, I do. I think uh, you'll like that one. Yeah, I think I will like that one. I mean, for, for the love of God, it's dragging around a coffin with a machine gun in it is el topo on that list el topo is not on that list but i just i obviously that's not like that's to not watch. your that's not like a, a western in the traditional sense no. really either but i think those are the ones that i'm gonna like more and then the only other movie i watched was a silent light by carlos regadas uh which Mostly because he has his new film out that I really want to see, which is Post Tenebris Lux, which you saw. Mm-hmm. And this is the film that won him the was it the Palme d'Or? No, oh. won the it won the jury prize. Won the jury prize at the 2007 Camp Film Festival. <clears throat> so check this out. This is this was a pleasant surprise. I, I mean, you're talking about infidelity in a Mennonite community in Mexico. And it is a slow burn. I mean, slow. This is, it's essentially like a Bergman movie. Sounds right up your alley. Right up my alley. And I enjoyed it a lot. It was a little bizarre seeing, because in the entire movie, they speak low German throughout. Even though it's set in Mexico, they still speak that low German, which is sort of like German mixed with Dutch, Mm -hmm. which I'm a little bit used to being in Lancaster County, hearing that. I don't know if it's like the exact same language that they speak, but I definitely uh, recognized it. So that was a little odd scene. And they were all real-life Mennonite people. 
from the community in Mexico, starring in this film. And the main guy, Cornelia Wall, who's the husband, does a great job for being a first-time actor. And uh, I don't, I don't know if this is really a recommend because I have a feeling if you like slow, slow burn, I mean slow, slow burn dramas, then yes, it's a recommend. I mean, it's 136 minutes. And there's some really slow shots. I mean, this film starts out with a sunrise, like, in full time. Mm. Just sunrise for, like, six minutes. That's it. And it ends with the sunset, six minutes. Just full-on sunset. I think that it'll be interesting once you see Post Tenebris Lux for, to compare the two. Because it sounds like it's uh, that Post Tenebris Lux is, uh, as far as content-wise, definitely different. Because I didn't find... Post Tenebris Lux to be a slow burn at all. Mm. So yeah, this... I think that it'll be interesting. I guess for some people, maybe, because it's, I, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, I'll be interested to hear. Yeah, the, I, I mean, the comparison. I'm extremely excited to see Post Tenebris Lux, and even more so now after watching Silent Light, because I enjoyed it so much. And it's a slow burn because it's essentially the, the main character, the husband, who has an extramarital affair is you know he's having his emotional struggles and it, but on top of it it's also the spiritual struggles that he has with it being Mennonite <clears throat> but the way that they they deal with the extramarital affair was quite refreshing like it's not he didn't have the affair like out of lust or anything like that he just accidentally essentially fell in love with another woman and he's completely open with his wife and tells her everything and which makes it more painful for her Mm-hmm. So it was definitely refreshing to see it's sort of like a you know a different take on the whole affair, which it seems like we see how many movies of that every year. It's the the whole extramarital affair thing. Yeah. So it was a different take. It's refreshing. Cool. And then I saw a Hangover Three, which we'll get to. Yeah, we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to it. I had a I had a pretty full week. Uh, I started out the week with a movie called Last House on Dead End Street, which was my Grindhouse Weekly uh, feature. Uh, this was kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it. It was this extremely gruesome exploitation flick that came out in 1977. And there's a lot of speculation about this movie. Maybe not speculation, but um, it's one of these movies that kind of got lost for a long time. Like the the copies of it just sort of disappeared and the director uh, his name was Roger Watkins first of all no one even knew who he was until many years later because in in the movie's credits everybody uses pseudonyms like everybody I was, including I was just going to say I'm on the IMDb page and all the names are completely different yeah so everybody used pseudonyms for some reason and no one even knew who directed this movie or who was in it. And decades later, this guy came came out and said, yeah, I, I did this movie. And he also stars in it. And it's just this really bad, extremely graphic movie about uh, this guy who goes to jail for drug possession. And he spends a year in jail. He gets out and he decides that he wants to start making snuff films. Sure. So he gets this like crew of people that like love him for some reason. And then they just start filming uh, different <laughs> murdering them, murdering different people. And it, it's all very, 
very violent and very hard to watch. It all looks pretty real, and uh, it's a tough, it's a tough movie. It's when when they called it Last House on Dead End Street, they they were clearly trying to cash in on the Last House on the Left, yeah, the the success of that. But it's a it's a very different movie, and in, in that it's more surreal. It's almost like a drug trip type movie. Yeah. There's a lot of really weird imagery and just kind of strange uh, scenes that happen. They wear these really creepy masks. Uh, and it's, I mean, if you're a fan of like this type of movie, might be worth checking out. But it, I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> like, I didn't think it was anything special. I think that the story behind this movie is actually more interesting how the director came out and said that they were given a $3,000 budget to make this movie, and he only used 800 to actually create the movie, and he used the rest on drugs, <laughs> on buying drugs. <laughs> and uh, The 70s. Yeah, the 70s. There apparently is a director's cut of this movie that's three hours long. I was going to say, the, uh, the original version of the Cuckoo Clocks of Hell... 175 minutes are you kidding me yeah yeah the original movie was over three hours long however there are no known copies of that in existence so bitch criterion get on that the yeah the version that i saw was the 78 minute version (laughs) and apparently it the director's cut is completely different so i don't know that would blow my mind if next year we see that and it was like amazing. Well, see, the thing is, even the 78 minute cut is extremely hard to find. It's on Amazon, but it's like a hundred dollars mm. on DVD. Oh, so it's a tough, it's a tough movie to find. But if you can get the DVD, and if you're into this like cult horror cinema, the the DVD is a double disc, and it's got like a ton of special features and stuff on it. So wow. I would recommend checking that out if and the artwork's really cool on the cover. So you know, it's uh for fans of classic horror, I would say check it out. It is actually scary. So uh, there were several moments that were extremely creepy. Uh so it's not like complete garbage. Uh I saw the original Maniac movie from nineteen eighty, and this might this might end up on this week's Grindhouse Weekly, I'm not sure yet. Uh, because I did see the, the new one with Elijah Wood mm-hmm. recently, and it's pretty good too. I was surprised. It's again, very creepy, really gross, like extremely gory and violent. And basically it's just about this crazy guy who likes to kill women and scalp them and put their scalps on mannequins. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, it's definitely a classic. I would say it's it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, I saw House, not the uh-uh. not the Japanese one. Uh-uh. This is uh, the American one from 1986. It's just there's no relation, just name only. Yeah. This uh, it's kind of a horror comedy. Shoot, I was gonna say because looking at the cover for this, Ding Dong, you're dead. Yeah, I was hoping that that's not serious. Yeah, it's a it's a horror comedy about this guy. He's a writer. He moves into this house that is his aunt owned, and it, it's haunted. 
and you know crazy stuff happens but the interesting thing is that george went is his neighbor from yes. cheers yes and yes. and i don't know his name but the guy who played bull in night court what? is also in it. no bull is in this film yes that's oh, that's, that's a, all i really it, need to mention about house yeah you don't need to say anymore that's an automatic recommend yeah it was kind of fun i mean which I is feel like it's richard mole by the way okay I feel like in in during this time in '86 they were using a lot of like prosthetic creatures and that type of thing, and they did use a lot of that in this movie. And it's some of it's like kind of goofy. It feels almost like it's trying to rip off Evil Dead Two in a way. Yeah. But you know, it was it was whatever. Not not really worth checking out. Uh, another one I saw that's not worth checking out is Vile, and it's got a double meaning. See, it's vile, like in, you know, gross and horrific, but it's also vile as in, like, a vial of medicine. Uh, yeah. Man. Deep, v- deep, it's, complicated. It's spelled, it's, yeah, it's spelled V-I-L-E, but they also mean it V-I-A-L. Oh, my goodness. Basic premise for this movie, which came out in 2012, is that a group of people wake up in a room and... They're, they have these machines hooked up to the back of their necks that uh-huh. extract adrenaline and dopamine from them. Okay. And in order for them to get out of this room alive, they must torture each other in <laughs> order to uh, make their bodies produce dopamine and um, adrenaline. Okay. Wait. Oh, wait, why? Why, why yeah. do they have to do that? Because there's this... Isn't that why they're in there? There's this drug dealer that's taking the adrenaline and the dopamine and, uh, like, turning them into pill form and selling them on the street as a drug. Okay. But, I mean, isn't torturing each other helping him out more? Yeah, but see that the way they're hooked up to these machines that if they don't extract enough within, like... It was like two or three hours, then they're all going to die. Because mm. mm. like there was a, the way that it was set up is there's this, these tubes on the back of their neck with these two vials. One is empty and one contains poison. So if they don't do it within the allotted amount of time, it releases the poison into them and they die. Okay. It's really, it's me taking the three minutes to describe the plot is entirely too much for this movie. I did notice that the lead singer of Tool plays a special agent. I didn't even know that. I didn't even... It's it's really bad. I mean, the acting is horrible. It's it's basically just your, your kind of typical torture porn movie that's just ripping off uh, Hostel. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much it. Wow. Seems. It's on Netflix Instant. I watched it when I was bored one night, so... Uh, I saw Fast Five because I never saw it before. I, I said last week that I might be watching this because I had given up on the Fast and Furious movies. So I decided to give it another go and watch Fast Five. And, you know, I didn't hate it. It was it was pretty average as far as an action movie, although I will say that there were a couple action scenes that I that I liked quite a bit, a couple of the car chase scenes. I mean, the acting is horrible. The plot is stupid. 
all the all the dialogue is completely ridiculous and there's several plot holes and logic problems that <laughs> that plague the movie throughout but overall no. it was still it was still an enjoyable movie to watch it doesn't now, sound like a fast and furious movie that leads me to my next watch which was fast and furious 6 oh yeah saw that this week uh this is not I didn't like this anywhere even close to Fast Five, which is to say, I didn't. Fast Five I thought was average. This I didn't like at all. Like, first of all, it's like two hours and ten minutes long. Which, yeah, what, what's up with that nowadays? Why is every fucking film over, like, I don't close know. to two and a half hours? I don't know. I I was waiting for this to be over. Like, there's this scene that happens at the end of the movie that you see it in the trailer. It's on a runway and they're fighting on a plane and that scene lasts so long and i'm sitting there in the theater and i'm like i can't believe that after this is over we still have a whole like wrap-up scene you know to wrap everything up after this is over and i just i don't understand because there's not there's maybe there's maybe three big action set pieces in this Mm -hmm. and the rest is just this stupid like character stuff and it's like the dialogue's probably worse than the last one and here's the thing that i don't get is that this movie has like a 72 percent on rotten tomatoes oh are you serious yeah like critics are liking this a a lot and it's it brought in a ton of money this weekend and i just don't get it because it is not i'm sorry but it's not a good movie there were there what you see in the trailer you see the scene with the tank and that scene is really cool I liked that. And there's another scene involving these like these like weird modified cars that sit really low to the ground and they can like flip other cars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see part of that in the trailer as well. Okay. And then the big set piece at the end on the plane, which is entirely too long. Like it feels like that runway must be 50 miles long. Mm. And and they all have these harpoon guns for some reason too, which I don't understand. They're like shooting harpoons everywhere. <laughs> uh, it just didn't work for me. It just didn't work on any level. Wow. It was some of it was just laughable. The dialogue, and then there's this scene. I think they also showed this in the trailer where Michelle Rodriguez and uh, Vin Diesel get launched from their cars okay. on a bridge, and they catch. And he he catches her in the air. And it's just... No. You're just like, oh my god, this is completely ridiculous. And I know that a lot of people... I mean, we gave it a a 7.5 on the site in our review. So there's a lot of people that are like, oh, it's just a... You know, it's a summer popcorn movie. You know, can't expect a lot. You know, just... I think a lot of people are giving it a pass. And I, I just... I don't think that it should get a pass just because it's supposed to be a summer a dumb summer action movie. Yeah. This sounds awful. Now, I, I'm, I, I can recall correctly, I think I saw the first one, or I'm sure I saw enough parts of it that I can count as seeing the whole thing, but I've never seen anything after the first one. And we talked about this before because of Ryan being so into it. But what the hell happened in that time period? Because I thought they were just like, racing cars and now they're like they're an elite team of like (laughs) (laughs) like criminals (laughs) pulling off like amazing heist yeah shit what what happened 
What did they go to like high school or something? Uh, a lot of stuff happened. I mean, the the plot of these movies has really evolved from just doing street races and running from the cops to these big heist movies. I mean, it's it's basically <laughs> being the greatest criminals the world has ever seen. Yeah, like the last one in, in Fast Five, it was basically a heist movie, and they were trying to pull off this big heist. And The Rock was like the cop that was trying to bring them down. He wasn't a cop. He was part of like some military special forces, whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in this one, The Rock recruits Vin Diesel and his team to take down this criminal like boss. (laughs) What? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I'm telling you, this is one of these movies where if you think about it for any length of time, it, everything falls apart and you're just like why does this why is our military hiring this group of criminals to take down this guy if he's so (laughs) you know if he's so uh bad and and evil and whatever just send a drone to kill him you know (laughs) and people will, will probably not understand this right now but bad writing to me and plot holes are like flying lemurs yeah those are, those are my flying lemurs it just sounds irritating oh yeah it's extremely irritating and there's just there's so many problems with it and but like i said there are a few action scenes that i that i did enjoy but it's yeah. just they're in the middle of all this crazy shit that you're just like oh my god and gina carano's in this one too and of course you know they're gonna make her fight but she's in like one fight scene and it's <laughs> Or maybe maybe it's two, but it's either way. It's pathetic. Like they, she's incredibly underutilized, and they give her like two lines of dialogue because she's not. I mean, let's let's be honest. She's not the best actress. Yeah. Uh, one one other thing I wanted to mention: uh, two surprise cameos in this. First, the guy from Teddy Bear is in it. Oh, nice. Yeah, the main guy from Teddy Bears in it. He's one of the henchmen of the bad guys, and he fights The Rock at the end. Awesome. Yep. So I, I actually like that. And then uh, the guy that's in Keep the Lights On, the main guy from Keep the Lights On. Oh, really? Yeah, he's in it. He plays this uh, kooky mechanic that builds. He he built the crazy the, fl- the flipping cars. cars. Yeah, flipping cars. So I thought that that was kind of interesting. And then, of course, there's a, a little snippet of Fast and Furious 7 after this one. Oh, my God. There's going to be a 7. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. So you stay. You stay. Oh, my after God. After the credits, you get a little taste. And I will say, if you don't want that spoiled, don't look on the IMDb because I believe it spoils it on the IMDb page. Mm. I'm just going to tell you what it is right now. Well, I, I read it. I think. Oh, I, you did? Is it? Okay. The new, the new per, the new person. They're adding a new person. Okay, you got. It. <laughs> it makes complete sense. I mean, yeah. So, Jesus. Anyway, that's Fast and Furious Six. I didn't like it, and I quite honestly don't understand why everybody is loving this movie. Right. Uh, and then finally, the last one I saw was Behind the Candelabra, which I, premiered. I'm so pissed off about this because me and my wife went to Philly. And we get into the hotel, and of course, we, we have HBO in the hotel. And I'm so excited because I'm like, yes, I get to see Beyond the Candelabra. But no, it's playing the night of the day that we leave. 
like we right. check out in the morning and play tonight. So I didn't get to see it. I was pissed. Yeah. I, I was almost thinking of staying another night just to watch, be able to watch this movie. Didn't that happen to you some other time, like not too long ago? I I I think it did. I can't remember what movie it was though. But I, I well think anyway, I um, that. this is the HBO film uh, directed by Steven Soderbergh, stars Michael Douglas and uh, Matt Damon. And Michael Douglas is Liberace. I have a review posted now. I like this a lot. And I will say, one of the big surprises was Rob Lowe in this movie. plays He plays their plastic surgeon. And they did this thing to his face where they, like, tightened his face. <laughs> it is so funny looking. And Rob Lowe is so ridiculous in this role. I loved it. Uh, but I was pretty impressed with this movie. I mean, it's it's funny how... It seems like HBO it always has a knack for making big stars do these like really transformative roles and kind of forces them to leave their comfort zone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a lot of uh like male sex happening in this movie between Michael Douglas and Matt Damon. <laughs> like that that uh surprised me quite a bit. Hmm. And they they both did phenomenal work i mean this might be michael douglas's i don't know if it's his best performance but it's it's up there i mean it's really good yeah i I mean i gotta say from watching the the trailers and stuff michael douglas looks amazing in this yeah i mean he's he's incredible incredible in it and the 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 tough thing like during the the makeout and sex scenes and there are quite a few quite a number of them uh i had a hard time just kind of pulling away, you know, like when I was watching that, I was like, oh, it's Michael Douglas and Matt Damon making out. You know what I mean? Like I had a hard time uh, separating myself, the movie from what was actually happening. But I mean, that's not to the fault of the movie. That's just me being weirded out by seeing that. (laughs) But for the rest of the time, they all like, his voice and his mannerisms. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Mm. Uh, so I highly recommend that, but if you want to read my thoughts in detail, just check out the review. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. It's, it's really good. I mean, it's, it's kind of structured like a, your typical biopic, but there's just all these little things that Soderbergh injects into the movie that make it just a little bit more than just your kind of typical biopic. Like it's even small things like, um, you know, like, uh, first of all, when the movie starts, he uses the old HBO logo, like the yeah. one from back when it, like I love back when in he, the 70s. I love when he does that. It's just little things like that where you're just like, oh, yeah. Um, but highly recommend it. I, you know, it pisses me off that a mo- that movies like this don't get theatrical releases because it deserves one. Yeah. And I don't know if, like, I think with this one, this could be considered for awards because it premiered at Cannes in in the theater. That's so true. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that this uh, is able to win like Oscars and stuff like that. I, I would, yeah, I think it will. But I, think count. I, I don't know if it'll be considered, but it's it's really good nonetheless. Uh, that's all I saw. So let's go ahead and uh, get right into this. Hangover 3 talk. Uh, let me pull up my 
this uh, IMDB page here. So The Hangover Part 3, written and directed by Todd Phillips. It stars everybody from the other ones. Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Galifianakis, uh, Justin Bartha. Ken Jeong plays a larger role in this one. And then we have John Goodman, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Jeffrey Tambor's in it. Uh, which reminds me, I also wanted to mention Arrested Development Season 4 out oh on Netflix. Oh Jesus Christ. <laughs> If, I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure I don't need to talk about it because I think everybody's probably watching it right now anyway. But I, I'm glad that you brought this up because I do have to say that I I love the show and everything. I'm a little sick and tired right now. I mean, it, it is fucking everywhere. Dude, there's a, a website my wife always goes to to get like recipes and stuff because she does a lot of cooking on the weekends. They have like posts about Arrested Development on that fucking website. <laughs> it's a recipe website. Are you kidding me? It's it's everywhere. It's every- have you started. Have you watched any of them yet? Not yet. I watched yet. Uh, the first three. I watched the first three, and I'm I'm happy with it so far. One, I I had a big concern about because we're like what eight years removed from the the last season, something yeah. like that. I was worried that they wouldn't be able to capture the same tone, but I mean they got everything is the same i mean it other than the people looking older some of the people mm-hmm. um it's got the same feel mm. and i do see how because you know it's structured like every episode is about one of the family members yeah and i can see how that could be problematic for some people that that like the interaction between the family members when they're all together mm-hmm. but so far i've i've enjoyed it but I'm only three three episodes in, so maybe we can talk about that more next week. Mm, all right. So, anyway, uh, Heather Graham is also in this. Mike Epps, uh, some other people. I'll read the synopsis. <laughs> this time, there's no wedding, no bachelor party. What could go wrong, right? But when the wolf pack hits the road, all bets are off. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you're working on a. A review for this, yes? Yes. Okay. Well, then I'll, I'll start. Um, I, I hated this movie. I hated it <sighs> with pretty much every fiber of my being. I hated it. Um, I thought it was incredibly unfunny. And I didn't think that it added anything to the, the story. And I just wanted it to be over. Like five <laughs> minutes in, I just wanted it to be over. I was done. I checked out. <laughs> mm. I'm going to go ahead and disagree and say that it was amazing. And by that, I mean, no, I completely agree with you. I was going to say. No. no. I believe, for a second there, I was like, wait a minute. What? <laughs> How? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I didn't like absolutely hate it, hate it. But good Lord, it was, you're right. It's pretty much unfunny throughout the entirety of its, what, like, 100 minutes yeah almost two hours long uh the main thing that this film has going against it is there's too much too 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 much of chow yes oh my god i mean i didn't really like mr chow in the other films but he was only in it sparing sparingly so it wasn't you know too bad 
you know, he'd never really worn out his welcome. But here, holy shit, it's just way too much of him. And yep. the worst part is Ken Jeong is I don't even know I don't know if you noticed this, but throughout the movie he almost like he loses the accent. Yeah, he loses at, it. At certain points. Like you can tell these guys are just fucking sick and tired of doing this movie. Like all of them are just phoning it in completely. Just sleepwalking yeah. through this film. To the point where Ken Jeong is he doesn't even use the correct voice throughout the film. <laughs> are you kidding me? Mm. I don't understand the injection of John Goodman. I, I mean, he's completely wasted. I don't understand why he's in the film at all. But, you know, just for like, hey, we got him to be in it. Also, Isn't that the, cool? Yeah, also the scene where they go back to see Heather Graham, completely pointless. Like, it was almost as if they were trying to just put her in there and put the baby in there just to bring them back, you know, as like yeah. a reunion. But that scene was almost completely pointless and unfunny in every way. And they just, it, that, that whole thing felt just shoehorned in. Yes. And I think that that, that was my biggest problem with this movie. I mean, I didn't, I've seen much worse movies, but the reason that I hated this is because you can see the potential, you know, these three guys, they have such a good chemistry and all three of them are very funny actors. And it, it was just such a disappointment to have this movie where they're all completely underutilized and mm-hmm. everything that they do is unfunny. And it was almost like, it's not just that the jokes weren't working. It was, that, it was that they weren't even there. It was like, it wasn't even supposed to be funny. No. I mean, it, that coupled with the fact that a lot of the stuff, it, it felt like they were just phoning it in. Like I did. I didn't feel like anything from like Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms. Like it just seemed like they're just like, you know, spouting off their lines. Like, let's just get through this, finish filming so we can go on with our lives. We just got to give them another one. It's all we got to do. Just hang in there guys. And uh, I mean, it becomes extremely redundant too. I mean, how many times did you hear Ed Helms scream? What the fuck is going on? Like it happened like every 10 minutes. Well, yeah. And plus I felt like, I felt like nothing was at going it, you know, where, where the other two kind of the strong suit of the other two is that everything's going at 11, you know, like there's just so much chaos that's happening mm-hmm. and the situations that they've got themselves into are so ridiculous and outlandish and crazy. But in this one, everything felt more subdued, you know, like one of the big things about the first two is the shock value, you know, mm-hmm. like just the crazy shit that's going on. But in this one, everything just felt so much more tame and, and calm. Yes. And I think as a result, it just felt, it, it all just felt, fell very flat for me. Yes. Yes. Extremely, extremely so. Now there were, there were several scenes that made me laugh. Um, <laughs> for some reason, the scene when uh, Ken Jong is singing the karaoke and they just, they show, um, Bradley Cooper sitting at the table. He just goes, what the fuck am I watching right now? <laughs> just that one line made me laugh. And I think that that was like one of the only things that made me laugh. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't much for me that made me laugh. A bunch of throwaway lines from Galifianakis and, you know, a lot of decisions that he makes, like in things that he wears and stuff made me chuckle or chortle. 
Yeah. But yeah, there were there were some chortles happening on my end too. No, I mean because I got to be honest, the the only reason I watched this is because of Zach Galifianakis. To me, if he wasn't in the original, I don't find the original funny at all. If he's not in it, because all of his lines are the only things that make me laugh. Well, Brad, that, well Bradley yeah, Cooper I mean, and Ed Helms really don't do anything that make me laugh in the original. And it's all it's all because they're bouncing lines off of him too. Yeah. It's all they're reacting to him, and that's that's why that that's working. So I throw that out there right away. Is that if Zach Galifianakis isn't in the first one, I probably wouldn't have liked it that much. Now here, <laughs> I was hoping that I could be like, yeah, this was really funny. I enjoyed it. It's just people don't get his humor. But even him, he's he can't save this. No, and he. It, I mean, he's not really even trying. It just seemed like no one was trying in this film. They just wanted it to be over with. Yeah, and I, I thought that we we don't need to get into a spoiler section for this because it's just not, there's really nothing worth spoiling. But the end, I thought, was, it ended so abruptly and so, it was so anticlimactic that I was, that I was just <laughs> like, that, that's it? In fact, I heard, or audibly heard several people in my theater go, that's it? Yeah, <laughs> like, like okay, like that's it. Just kind of ends, and it's it's such a disappointment. It's just very, very, very lazy on all yeah. fronts. I mean, yeah, there was a couple throwaway lines, like I said, that I thought were funny. I love the fact that Alan was so adamant that his dad get it correct that he was forty two and not forty. Yeah, <laughs> he's just so pissed off at that. Um, I'm trying to remember other ones and hell, I just saw this, like I saw this three hours ago and I'm having trouble remembering some of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost at a complete loss as to what happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that's it. Just it. It's forgettable, you know, it's like... extremely forgettable and yeah, just way too much. Mr. Chow. There's no reason he should be Would the, you think of the, the, uh, the main the character, op- <sighs> the opening with the, the giraffe scene. <laughs> okay. That was, was pretty pretty bad. Yeah, it was it was stupid. It was just ridiculous. I did love the fact that he's drinking a beer very openly while yeah. he's driving. Uh but that's it. It just seemed really ridiculous. And there was a lot of things in the film too that were just so preposterous. And normally I don't care because for me a comedy just makes just make me laugh. That's all you got to do. But when you're not making me laugh, plus you're putting in plot points that are so unbelievably preposterous, it's like, holy shit, this is just, this is a fucking mess. Yep. Why Why uh, is this happening? Why did we need this? We didn't need know, it. it was, it's funny because they were, they were really saying in this one, like, yes, it's not going to be the same as the first two. We're getting away from the whole, they've been drugged formula and all this stuff and they did get away from that i'll give them that mm-hmm. they did they did make a solid attempt at creating something different yes but, but i wish they stuck with the formula yeah i mean part of me wishes that they would have stuck with the formula now because i thought everything with chow was so bad like i just couldn't stand it and i like ken jong i think he's funny but in small doses this this whole well, I think he's funny if he's not trying to be an Asian stereotype. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that too. Like, it's just that was not 
working for me at all. And like the scene with Melissa McCarthy was, you know, there were a couple chuckles to be had in there, but again, she was like barely used at all. Yeah. It just, it all felt just so underwhelming and lame and boring and mm, God, it's it, a shame. It, I've never, I don't know if I've ever really seen this in a film where the indifference from the characters was almost palpable <laughs> from the actual, like there was points where you could tell that they didn't want to be there. They yeah, just, um, they, yeah, they just want to get like Bradley Cooper's like, okay, I'm like a big time actor now. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Just try and do my lines as quick as possible. Get out of here. Get my paycheck. Go back to making other films. Well, the other thing that I thought was a lot of it felt dated. Like the a lot of the camera stuff that Todd Phillips used and a lot of the music and stuff, <laughs> it all oh, yeah. felt really dated. It felt like. And for some reason, I always feel like this is kind of a lot of his movies are are like this, where he's just a little bit behind the curve when it comes to like camera tricks and camera techniques and, and trends and stuff like they use that, you know, uh, camera strapped to the person while they're running thing and just the music selection like it all just felt dated <clears throat> to me. Yeah, this is uh, it's just it's awful. I, and I was. I was completely ready because I, I mean, I, I heard some rumblings, people not liking it and everything and people complaining about it. And I thought, you know what? People said the same thing about part two. I enjoyed part two. I thought it was funny. I was like, I have a feeling it's going to be the same thing for part three. And about 20 minutes in, I was like, nah, I think people are right. <laughs> <laughs> I see what they're saying. I yeah, definitely, I definitely get it. It's unfortunate. I mean, hopefully this will be it. They won't decide to squeeze another one out. It definitely seems like this is this is going to be the the end. I don't think any of these guys will be. I no, got. I hope not. They need to do other things. You know, maybe it would have been better if they waited a couple more years to make this. Yeah, I think that would have been a much better idea. But I think I think just a lot of it falls on the script. Like I think that it's just such a. It's boring a lazy script. Oh, it's boring. It's lazy. It, oh. And the worst part is, is that it, this took up their time. Like they could have been making something else, but instead yeah. they were making this. It sucked yep. up like a year of their life. Oh, <laughs> uh, there you have it. So Hang it's worse. It's three. worse. It's worse for them than it is for us. Yeah, I feel it is, bad. Actually. I feel bad for. Them. They, yeah, they had to spend a significant... We only had to deal with it for 100 minutes. They had to deal with it for <laughs> God knows how long. Six months. Yeah. And, that, and now they're probably contractually obligated to go on like the press runs. <laughs> now, was there a thing like at the end of the movie? Like after the credits or anything? Because I was, um, so, I was I, so done with this film that I just left. No, I don't... I think I just left too. Uh, I don't remember anything at, other than like the montage at the end where they were showing clips of uh, the previous movies and stuff at, at the end. But yeah, I didn't, uh, I don't think so, but I, I just left. <laughs> I was too. done. I Me checked too. out. It's like, I got things to do. I got shirts to iron. <laughs> <laughs> you get the hell out of here. All right. Um, oh, one more thing. And this is just something that I've never had this happen before, but 
number one, before the film, I had like 14 previews to sit through, like 14 trailers. It was ridiculous. I've never seen so many. But also, never had this happen, two trailers for Man of Steel. Nice. I had, I had bookend trailers. Started with the Man of Steel, <laughs> and they did like 13 other ones, and then it ended with a Man of Steel trailer. I'm like, what the hell is going on? They're really pushing this. Every movie that I've seen for like the last month has had a, a World War Z trailer in it. And I'm yeah, I have one. Freaking claw my eyes out every time that trailer comes on. Yeah, we that... sat we sat down in the theater because I just saw Fa- Fast and Furious Six <laughs> on, on Saturday, and then Sunday I go to see Hangover Part Three, and I sit down and I go, if there's a World War Z trailer, I am getting up and leaving, coming back when it's over. <laughs> And there was, and I did. <laughs> but I, I felt the same way with uh, Life of Pi. Every time I would hear that music oh my start, God, yes. I would just... That was bad, too. I remember. <sighs> that, was, that one was bad. All right, so uh, what, are, what are you going to give Hangover Part 3 out of 10? <clears throat> I would... This is... And your score, your score can change after you write the review because I know See, how that how yeah, that goes. Because I was starting, I'm starting off at a three. That's where I was. That was initial initial rating. But after talking about it just now, and the fact that I really can't remember much of the good parts, which there are a few, but the fact that they were so unmemorable that I can't remember them three hours later, this might drop down to a two. I'm <clears> uh, <throat> I think I'm sitting somewhere around a two and a half. So there you go. Hangover part three, probably not worth checking out. Unfortunately, probably one of the, well, you know, it's tough. I was going to say it's probably one of the biggest disappointments of the year, but I honestly didn't have very high hopes for it to begin with. So no. And that's the other thing too, with it being, you know, phoned in and lazy and everything. It seems like even the marketing for this film was just really lazy and, rushed like hey we finished this movie here's the hangover three i remember the Come check the, it out yeah i remember the trailers for the hangover two were so awesome when they when they came out and they were just so well done and then this one was just kind of average and it, it even felt like they were saying like hey we're finally done this is the last one it's over we're not gonna bother you anymore if you <laughs> don't promise. have any if you don't have anything to do this memorial day weekend just you know Pop in and check it out. That's all we ask. Yeah. Just being nice about it. Not being pushy. <laughs> okay. Let's go ahead and move on and talk about some predictions. Uh, the Hangover Part 3, we'll start there. You, I said 63. You said 60. Actual 20 on <laughs> nice. Part 3. Uh, Fast and Furious 6, I said 50. You said 66. Actual on that one is 72. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, Epic, the movie that I forgot. Now oh, that came existed. out? <laughs> yeah. I said 67, you said 76. Actual on that was 62. So hmm. not, not horrible. Not horrible. Yeah. Uh, also, before Midnight came out in Select Cities, we do have a review for that up on the site. That got a 97. Oh, give me a fucking break. And we have uh, Ernie reviewed that, and he gave it a 9 out of 10. So I'm I'm... Extremely, I know that you you're gonna hate on it no matter what, but I'm yeah. extremely excited to see that. I'm I'm gonna hate it definitely. But that was the uh, another thing that I forgot to mention is in the beginning when Hangover Three comes on, I'm like, yes, Ernie, I'm looking for Ernie. 
Uh, yeah, I looked for him too. Actually, yeah, we should mention that to the listeners. Our writer, Ernie Trinidad, was in The Hangover 3, in the, the opening scene in the uh, prison. The prison uh, riot. But the funny thing is I'm looking for him, looking for him, and then finally realized, I'm like, I have no idea what Ernie looks like. So I'm like, I'm not going to fucking recognize him. Why the hell am I looking for him? I looked for him. I, I do know what he looks like, and I looked for him, but I didn't see him. I'll have to ask if... Uh, he saw himself in there because i'm sure that he knows what the scene was yeah so all right next week we have after earth this is the m night Shyamalan movie yeah we thinking on this bad boy i'm thinking uh 58 58 58 now i kind of hope that this is good but it seems like with m night Shyamalan stuff it's either like 90 or it's like 12 mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I'm gonna say uh, I'm just gonna go out there and say twelve. <laughs> uh, we have now you see me. This is the magic, magic, magic thriller. Yeah, actually, right. I'm actually curious to see this. I hope I hope that it's good, but mm. I'm gonna say forty six. Mm. Oh, magic, magic. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like a sixty. Good cast. Good cast in it. Looks interesting. Uh, those are the only two that I think are getting wide release. There are a number of limited release movies that I wanted to mention. Kings of Summer is the big one. If that's playing in your area, definitely check uh, that out. I wish. Uh, um, the East is also hitting select cities. I don't know about an on-demand release for the East, but if that is going to be on demand, I would I would yeah. check check that out too. Yes. Yes. That looks quite good. American Mary, which I had a chance to see, and I would I would give that a light recommend. And uh, the History of Future Folk is also going to be playing in New York on May thirty first, mm-hmm. and it's going to be that's going to be on demand in June. I think it's like June fourth or something like that. So check that out as well. And we have DVD and Blu-ray releases. This is for Tuesday, May twenty eighth. We have Dark Skies. Which is that, uh, it's like an alien horror thing. Yeah. Gives a shit. Doesn't look very good. No, it looks awful. Generation Um, which yeah. is that Keanu Reeves movie. That looks terrible. I was kind of curious to check it out. Uh, the Numbers Station, which is uh, with John Cusack. Don't know too much about that, but I'm sure it's probably not good. That's pretty much it as far as major releases. We do have Beetlejuice, the animated series, season one. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Black Knight on Blu-ray, Martin Lawrence. Oh, my God. Check that. That is a definite recommend, right? Yeah, I know you're a big fan of that one. Uh, Also, Airheads and Bedazzled, little Brendan Fraser. Nice. Little Brendan Fraser action. Is he making a comeback? Is this marking a comeback? I just saw he was in some straight to DVD release like last last week or something. He's in every straight to DVD release, and it looks so bad. I can't remember. I actually, I think he's actually making some straight to VHS releases (laughs) as well. (laughs) He's bringing it back. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think there are there is at least one Criterion, isn't there? Do we have Mike Lee's Life Is Sweet from 1990 out on the. On the Blu-ray there, which uh, I definitely would like to see this. I enjoy I enjoy Mike Lee films. There you have it. 
but I have not seen this one, so. No, I haven't either. Hopefully I'll see it soon. I don't think I have. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. All right. For the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email, feedback at filmpulse.net, and follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we will see you on Wednesday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Uh, started it out with, can you still hear the toilet running? <laughs> <laughs>